This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Brought to you by 2020 Seed Labs, your accredited independent lab since 1989. Award-winning, certified, and ready to test your seed, plus plant tissue and soil. Our NISCU lab offers a full suite of services, including disease and molecular diagnostics. We use industry-leading technology, innovations, and have a highly trained team of accredited analysts and diagnosticians ready to work with you so you can be sure to never stop growing. Reach out to us on social media or find us at 2020seedlabs.ca. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Inputs. My name is Derek Cluche, and I'm the editor of Top Crop Manager West. And today we're chatting with Bob Hoffis, a GPS, GIS instructor for the Land of Water Resources Program at the Workland School of Agriculture and Technology at Old College of Agriculture and Technology. Bob is going to talk to us today about drones and how this new technology can help farmers and agronomists. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Oh, thank you very much, Derek. It's good to be here. Great. It's great to have you. Um, Well, let's just start off right away by just give us a little bit of an overview of the work that you do and what you've been doing with drone technology at Olds College, and specifically with respect to how your work is aimed at benefiting farmers and the research efforts of agronomists. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for the last five years, we've been uh, using drones at the college and started small, started with uh, applications like using small drones to perform crop scouting. So this is where you're taking your drone to take images of different things going on in the field, whether it's uh, areas of the field that aren't growing well, and uh, bringing those images back and trying to figure out what might be happening in the field at that spot. And if there's things that you can do about about it, then you go and, and make changes, such as maybe reseeding a wet area, things like that. And then as time went on, we we're using drones for monitoring uh, our small plots crop research, that is the the research trials that we do and making maps uh, for those clients. And then uh, moving on now, of course, over the last few years to using drones to uh, monitor our cereal crops and monitor the vegetation throughout the growing season and to predict yield and and make other kinds of analysis of of the data. Those are some of the core areas. I mean, we've used them for all kinds of crazy things because they come in handy. We've been calculating the volumes of our manure piles and our compost piles and getting better estimates of uh, uh, those kinds of material handling situations uh, all the way up to, you know, doing a drone behind a, a, a vehicle or a piece of equipment that is having issues and troubleshooting the problems with the uh, equipment. So all kinds of ways that they're being used. That sounds pretty cool. It sounds like you have a really fun job. <laughs> yeah. So what are what are some of the different kind of sensors and cameras that can be mounted on drones and what are the differences between those? Yeah. So it starts with your, your RGB camera. That's the visible spectrum camera, like on your cell phone. And of course, you just like on your cell phone, you can get different resolutions for that and different costs. And that's the, the main sensor initially that people come down with. And then from there, people will purchase multispectral sensors, which is now beyond the visible spectrum into like near infrared uh, spectrum. So breaking out the, 
the bands, and that allows you to do those vegetation indices. So without a multispectral camera, you're not going to be able to do the uh, the veg assessments that are talked about. And then there's thermal cameras to, to detect uh, changes in temperature and cameras like LIDAR, which is a laser uh, image detection camera for creating super accurate elevation models. Very cool. So when it's specifically when it comes to crop research, what are some of the things you're doing with drones at Olds College Smart Farm to help increase on-farm production efficiencies? Well, probably the biggest use, like other groups out there using these drones, is to gather your data and create a prescription map for the field. So you're going to have a map that's going to show you different zones, and it's going to then be used for variable rate technologies for things like your fertilizer and other chemical inputs. And thereby, yeah, you're going to be putting less fertilizer in some areas for sure, but then more fertilizer perhaps in other areas that could benefit from it. So the efficiency there is you're getting a bigger bang for your buck on the field. So each pixel, if you will, of the field then is uh, maximized in terms of your returns and your profit. And there's other ways. I mean, that's the biggest one. We we use drones for doing biomass estimations of, of a like a cereal crop or a, a forage land. So what that is, is being able to then predict the uh, yield. So we take, we get a biomass estimation. We do a tiny bit of ground truthing on that from the drone work. And then we create a predictive layer that says what the yield will be for that field. And that that's just like a kind of early indication throughout the growing season of what a field is likely to produce, barring an act of God and a terrible hailstorm. Right. And I know, I know weeds can also be a big problem for, for growers. How are drones used to identify and pinpoint the location of weed patches? And how can that information can then be used by growers to improve their weed management strategies? Yeah, this is an exciting area. We have uh, done only some basic work in this area, but uh, I can tell you, um, like our work includes just flying drones and using the traditional sensors to detect patches of weeds, shall we say, in the early uh, spring where, you know, things like thistle and other weeds are growing faster than your seeded crop. So you're certainly getting an indication uh, from the drone of where those weeds are. But in the future, you're, you're going to see, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning coupled with drones or other robotic technologies to basically pinpoint uh, individual patches of weeds, create that immediate instantaneous kind of locational awareness map, and then, yeah, and then spot spray, right, right, all in one operation. So that's, that's where we're headed. We haven't done that yet, but uh, there are companies out there like Precision AI that are, do, are doing that and starting to do that. That's great. And we're talking about all this, all these cool things that drones can do. But from a regulatory standpoint right now, what is the current regulatory status when it comes to using drones in Canada? And I don't know if Alberta is any different. It might be a Canada wide thing. Are they legal? Like what are farmers able to do right now? And what are they not legally able to able to do? Oh, that's a great question. For sure, we get that a lot at the college. You should have your Transport Canada basic certification test to fly a drone over 250 grams in Canada. So between 250 grams and 25 kilograms, you need your basic license. It's a $10 test. You can take it every 24 hours until you pass. You can take some a little bit of training if you like to do better than, you know, 50% the first time you take that test. 
But that's the starting point. And after that, then, you know, according to the rules of Transport Canada, there's some very basic things that apply, such as uh, not, not flying higher than 400 feet or 122 meters, not flying over top of people, not flying, you know, near airports or aerodromes, like three miles from an airport, uh, one mile from a heliport at a hospital, and other kind of common sense things that need to be abided by if you're going to fly your drone on your on your own property there. I'm sure most farmers don't have to worry too much about being three miles from an airport, but uh, yeah, still a good good thing to know. And I assume this is a Canada, like there's no different rules province to province or? Right. So um, these are Canadian rules. Uh, thanks for the clarification. And just to answer the other part about what you cannot do. So right now, uh, you're hearing a lot about using drones for spraying on the fields. And certainly that is coming down the pipe. And there are, you know, uh, the regulations are drafted and approved and will be phased into effect over the next two years. But additional data, drone-specific data on a chemical-by-chemical basis is what has to be developed for each uh, chemical in order to then be approved for spraying with a drone. So we are a little ways away from from that, but that is what is being uh, developed. There are a few different things that you can uh, spray with drones right now, such as uh, seeds and a couple of uh, biocides. But yeah, that'll be the big growth. In the future, you're going to see drone swarms to uh, sort of increase the efficiency of collecting data, whereby, you know, 10 different drones are out there all operating at the same time, kind of controlled by uh, robotics and uh, your um, controller. And then you're kind of cutting down on the amount of time it takes to, to collect data or whatever it is you're doing with the, with the drone. So for someone looking to make, that's maybe thinking about integrating drones into their farming operation, where's a what's a good start? Where's a good first step that they can take that might make an immediate impact on their business right now? Well, I would suggest uh, buying a smaller drone, kind of a, a $500 type drone. Probably it is a under 250 grams even. And that's going to give you confidence to fly, you know, your first drone and even perform mapping missions. These smaller drones have the ability to do a full mapping mission uh, where you're collecting data to to process into uh, these layers that we started to talk about, like the the orthomosaic layer or uh, an NDVI veg layer. And then you're going to want to attend, you know, local trade fairs. You're going to want to meet people that are are flying drones and, and working with them in agriculture. And likely you'll want to take a course somewhere to kind of learn some of the software data processing side of of things. When it comes to fly, I've actually never, well, I shouldn't say I've never, I've tried to fly like these tiny little drones that kids get for, for Christmas or whatever, and you fly them around the house and it, it can be tricky. So how difficult is it to learn how to fly these drones? I assume with each new model that comes out, it gets easier and easier, but is it, is it a difficult thing to learn to do? Well, I know exactly what you mean. About 10 years ago, I was trying to fly some of those uh, toy drones and they were extremely hard to fly. Just and hit that's... the ceiling and then fall down on your ground. That happened, it happened all the time. Absolutely. I don't think they had a gyro inside them. So they had, and they certainly didn't have GPS. So they didn't have stabilization like the modern drones. And yeah, the, the modern drones with the GPS and uh, the uh, obstacle uh, detection uh, cameras and the uh, you know the stability of the gyro it is a, they just fly themselves and they sit there perfectly still unless you're touching the uh, controls for the most part the kind of flying we're talking about is completely automated 
you create a mapping mission in the in your cell phone or whatever, and uh, uh, it's going to go to the field and do its thing, come back and land all automatically. So it's like you're playing a script. You're just you press a play button. You actually press a play button, and you don't even touch the drone the entire time. You're it's flying. Wow, that certainly makes things easier. So obviously, there's some some software that needs to be used. So what kind of software is used to work with the imagery that a drone collects? And what is the function of that software? And maybe also touch upon back to flying the drone. Like, is it is it very easy for somebody to use these programs on their cell phone to map things out? Yeah, this is a, a good thing to talk about because even with our students at Olds College, this is where some of the obstacles start to come in. So it's one thing to fly the drone, to collect the data, but now we have to find a way to process the data, whether we use cloud-based services where we you know have to pay a monthly fee for um you know a company to process our data that we upload or whether we buy software to use on our own computer to process that so certainly you're taking on a lot more learning when you are the one dealing with all the data that comes from the data collection and then processing the initial uh drone data into just initially getting layers and then using those layers in other software to create Prescription zone maps uh, would be a typical workflow there where you're wanting to eventually get a layer that you're going to load into, you know, a sprayer or a fertilizer and, and then actually do variable rate farming with. So those, those, some of those steps are certainly a little bit complicated. And, and of course, that's why we have agronomy companies and all kinds of companies have sprung up to perform that exact step that I just talked about. But it is possible for someone to learn how to do that on their own, for sure. And this question just kind of popped in my head when you just mentioned about monthly subscriptions to certain programs and stuff. And I know this, the answer would probably vary depending on what programs you're using, what kind of drone you're getting, but what kind of financial investment would a, would a grower be looking at that's looking to purchase a drone and, uh, and have these subscriptions or buy the program themselves? Like, how much does all this stuff cost? Well, realistically, you're looking at between uh, five to $10,000 to get a drone that has multispectral sensors on it that allows you to do the vegetation assessment layers that we've been talking about. And then, of course, there's software and training and, you know, annual fees related to your drone. So, you know, I would say the minimum is 5000 Unfortunately, you can certainly spend a lot more than 10000 depending on what kind of drones you're going to buy. And uh, certainly some of the drones at the college here are worth more than 5000 for sure. So what do you foresee happening in the drone market in the next five years or so? And maybe what, what work are you looking forward to doing in the next couple of years there at Olds College that's going to have like an, that will have an impact on farm operations? Well, the big one that everyone's talking about, of course, is drones for spray operations. And you will see training courses uh, throughout Canada on that uh, subject because the regulations are going to be phased in. The chemical by chemical is going to be uh, analyzed and you're going to see more chemicals that are available for spraying. And so that's a big one because, you know, if you don't have to sit on a piece of equipment spraying or if you don't have to, you know, if you're, let's say, even in the golf course industry, like or any industry that's like got a specialty 
kind of uh, landscape that has to be uh, sprayed, the drones are able to just go over top of all that and not have to worry about any of the land topography and fly right over it and do spot spraying. So you're going to see a lot of robotic spot spraying that's going to greatly increase the efficiency of chemical use. You're going to see the drone swarms that I mentioned to increase the efficiency of data collection. Something else we haven't talked about, that's the beyond visual line of sight regulations. Those will be taking effect. And so right now, one of the things you cannot do is fly a drone beyond your visual sight. So when these beyond visual line of sight uh, regulations, BVLOS, take effect, you will be able to fly a drone, let's say, further down fence lines, uh, do bigger projects on a section of land where you basically can't see the drone flying. And uh, you're just going to rely on uh, the technology to to tell you where it is from a GPS coordinate point of view. And of course, the costs of drones are going to come down. Uh, there's going to be more and more functionality on smaller drones. So the functionality we see on the big drones now will be available on smaller ones. And there's just going to be more uses for these things dreamed up. So you can't get around that beyond line of sight by having like some binoculars and you're watching it going (laughs) further and further. Like it seems like it's a very, very vague law, like somebody with better eyesight might be able to see it further than somebody with poorer eyesight. (laughs) Yeah, in fact, no, that's a good point. You're not allowed currently to use binoculars or any kind of uh, technology (laughs) to assist your ability to to see that uh, drone in a, in a typical drone flight. If you're an advanced drone user beyond the basic, uh, there are some, I know some areas where you can have spotters and you can like kind of piggyback on their, their vision. But generally speaking, uh, as a single solo fl- flyer, you have to be able to see the drone. What's on your plate in the next coming months when it comes to drones there? What are you working on? like right now that's maybe later today or something that's really exciting for you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we've uh, like my whole job at Olds College over the last five years has has changed for the better. It's been a dramatic change. I still teach courses in the Land and Water Resources Program, but another part of my job is drone research. And so we're, we're excited to to basically work with our uh, some of our internal staff and improve the uh, uptake of drones in our internal kind of operation and research. Externally, we have several clients and uh, some of them are in oil and gas sector. So this is where it gets interesting, where this is oil and gas operations on agricultural fields. But we are, you know, applying the same techniques you would in agriculture with drones, but to and to the same kind of crops, but only it's an oil and gas setting where we look at, you know, using drones to assess reclaimed sites that are out in uh, out on agricultural lands. And so, you know, how is the vegetation growing on site uh, on, say, an old lease site that's been reclaimed versus off site? In other words, the farmer's land. One last one. Uh, we work with Ag Financial Services Corp over the last several years to help them evaluate drones for the purposes of assessing uh, damage in a crop from hailstorms. And so that's been a real exciting one and an eye-opener. And uh, we're wrapping up that project here uh, in the next few months here. Very cool. I can imagine that the courses that you teach on drones, I imagine with the students that old, it's a pretty popular thing. I can I can think back to when I was a student, if I got to go to a class and fly drones around and learn how to do that, that'd probably be one of the better parts of my day. 
Oh, that's awesome. That, that's certainly what our students say. I, I run a drone club at the college as well as teaching uh, drones to my own students. And uh, they're always dreaming up ways. And yeah, they are, they are excited. And yeah, we have like 15 mini drones that we use for that exact purpose and students love it. That's great. Well, thanks a lot for the information today, Bob. We appreciate you taking the time. You betcha, Derek. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.